0: Hi everyone, it's Kelsey Bowler back filling in for Beverly Hallberg on She Thinks, as Beverly is still off enjoying the last of her honeymoon. Big congratulations there. She Thinks is a podcast from Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care most about. Today we are joined by Cynthia Monteleone, a world champion track athlete who specializes in the 400-meter. At the 2018 World Masters Athletic Championships in Spain, Cynthia actually competed against a transgender athlete from Colombia. She beat this athlete by a few tenths of a second to make it to the final round of the 200-meter race. But at the 2019 April World Championship Indoor Meet in Poland, that same athlete won bronze in the 80-meter hurdles beating Cynthia's teammate. When Cynthia tried to voice concerns over the fairness of a biological male competing against women, a USA track and field administrator told her for your own safety, you might want to keep your mouth shut. Well, Cynthia didn't follow that direction. Shortly thereafter, her 16 year old daughter, a sophomore at St. Anthony school in Maui, Hawaii also found herself competing against the biological male in high school track. Her daughter placed second behind this transgender athlete in her first and only track meet of the season before COVID-19 hit. Cynthia is also a track coach and a metabolic practitioner. Cynthia, welcome to the show. We have lots to talk about today, and I'm very excited to catch up with you. Aloha from Maui, Kelsey. It's so great to talk to you again. And I'm so thankful um, that I have this opportunity to um, talk about strong women and how we can support them. Yeah, for our listeners' background, uh, Cynthia and I have now been, I guess, friends for quite a few months. Um, I was doing work for Independent Women's Forum trying to find some of Uh, these personal stories of how girls and women are being impacted by uh, being forced to compete with and against biological males in their sports. Uh, I stumbled upon Cynthia's story. I was just going to write this very short profile. And after chatting with you for just five minutes, I was like, Cynthia, (laughs) there's a lot more we need to do. And we actually spent a couple months uh, really getting into the weeds of your story, understanding what happened, both to you and your daughter. Uh, we put together this uh, short documentary that's available on IWF.org. Uh, since then, Cynthia, you've been all over the media, including on Tucker Carlson Tonight, uh, right. sharing your story, advocating for girls and women, uh, fairness in, in sports, <laughs> tell me what it's been like from your experience since we went public with your story. Well, gosh, you know, I, it's just been really positive all around. I really can't say that I've had too much, um, pushback. I have had some, of course, from, um, you know, just like official, uh, type people who deny, like basically denying office, you know, office of civil rights complaints and things like that. Like, who don't want to get involved, which is really disheartening because they're the ones who should get involved. Um, but otherwise, like I really feel that deep down, a lot of people, a lot, the majority percentage of the people are on board with our mission, which is to keep fairness in women's sports. Um, and it's been awesome because, um, I am not one to roll over and just, um, obey whatever government, um, you know, administrative, uh, executive order is coming out if I don't feel like it's right. And so I definitely believe in standing up for, um, for women and as a mother, but also, you know, as a track coach, I see the effects, the negative effects that these policies have had on our young girls. Um, one girl that I coached is, this is in our, our video we made, which, um, tells a great story. Um, about our experience, if anybody wants to go and watch that um, for the details. But one girl that I coached, you know, she just didn't want to do track anymore after racing this individual. She was a senior. She said, what's the point where, you know, I'm not going to win the conference championship and then I might not go to states and then, Uh, I won't be seen by a recruiter. And I just wanted this last year of college, you know, uh, this last year to prove that I can maybe run track in college. And she just wanted to quit. Now, of course, COVID hit and um, she didn't get a chance to finish her season. Uh, So that, you know, was the end of that story. But she this is what's happening to girls everywhere. And you just won't hear about it because the mainstream media won't talk about it. Um, which is why we are very appreciative also to Tucker Carlson for having us on. He called my daughter a hero for speaking up. And I truly believe that that's right. That um, in this day and age, uh, girls are told to keep their mouth shut. And how ironic is that, that here we are, you know, they're trying to, the other side is trying to push a progressive agenda when they're really going back to the dark days of when we told women they can't speak. <laughs> And so same thing with that administrator who told me, you know, perhaps for your own safety. Now, maybe he was really worried about my safety. It's very possible. But also a lot of the top officials um, in certain organizations will tell you, just, you know, just keep your mouth shut. Just sweep it under the rug until it, you know, it gets worked out. But it's not getting worked out. It's actually getting worse. And all of our fears are coming true, whether it be my daughter losing her very first high school race after training for a year to an individual who trained only for track for two weeks, had never run track before. Um, So clearly a a male-bodied advantage there. Uh, But what I'm saying is like even in other aspects, um, our worst fears are coming true as far as um, individuals taking advantage of these policies. I think that you would probably agree with that with the latest news stories. Absolutely, out of Loudoun County, which is not far from where I'm from. If you uh, are listening, I'm sure you've heard about it, but it was published on Daily Wire and uh, has not been picked up by very many uh, mainstream outlets thus far. Hopefully by the time this podcast publishes, that will change. But um, certainly what we're talking about today uh, encompasses far more than girls and women's sports. I have to say when when I first chatted with you and heard your story, I was like how has how has no reporter told this yet? Like, how am I so lucky to be the first one <laughs> to really elevate Cynthia's story on the national level, because this the participation of male athletes in female sports was being reported on and by every major media outlet and the the dominant narrative on the left was, you know, this isn't really happening it's mm-hmm. It's such a small issue. So few transgender athletes are playing women's sports that this is just being completely overblown by conservatives. and then come to find out both a mother and a daughter both had firsthand experience competing against uh, biological men. I mm-hmm. was just dumbfounded that nobody had. Well, yeah, right. Um, they had, they were nobody just had jumped on the that. story, <laughs> right? They're just, they purposely weren't jumping on it. I actually had a reporter here in Hawaii in Honolulu who wanted to run our story um, or actually just even my daughter's and was told by, um, you know, his superiors that they, he couldn't run the story. Like that was, you know, he, he would have to change it or make it from a, the opposite point of view. So that's what was happening is we were trying to tell our story, but nobody would listen. And again, that's being silenced. And where are we? We're in the dark ages again, where women are being silenced by men. This is ridiculous. Like we have, everyone needs to have the courage to stand up um, and say what is fair and what is right. And I, I definitely encourage all of your listeners to do that in any way, shape or form that's available to them. Meaning even if it's just filing a complaint, if they see it happening, um, Now, if that complaint is not approved, that at least it's still uh, down that there, you know, there is a complaint. So just, or just speaking up and questioning. How about raising questions? How is this fair? You know, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, Because as your uh, IWS came out with a great uh, women's report that um, shows the evidence of why it's not fair. So plenty of research there. Yes, I want to get to that in one second. But Before I do, I want to say the issue of fairness in girls and women's sports is far from resolved, but the encouraging news out of our work with you is is the fact that you, you can say, after going public with your story, you've received an overwhelming positive response from the public. And I see this being replicated in all the parents who are becoming more brave to Either stand up for fairness in women's sports, stand up against uh, transgender bathroom and locker policies they fear put their daughters at risk, stand up against critical race theory in school or mask mandates, whatever it is, parents are finding their voice. And I think they're realizing they're not alone. But it really does take those first few individuals like yourself to go public, to be the face of this issue, and to show everyone else that you are not alone, I'm here with you. Yes, that's what our my daughter and I we had a long talk about it because it's not a light decision. I had a, I discussed it with my whole family. Um, they all said we we stand behind both of you speaking up. And for a you know a freshman now sophomore I mean sorry she's a junior now freshman sophomore basically as this was unfolding in high school to go through this. Um, and to have the courage to speak up. Now, I did set her up with some tools for that, which one was she doesn't have a phone and she doesn't participate very much in social media. She has an Instagram account through mine. It's private. So, you know, she doesn't put herself out there as a target um, in social media, but she does, you know, she was so eloquent when we we were invited to speak to members of Congress and the Senate. Uh, They loved her charm and how she spoke from the heart uh, the thing about us is that we don't, um, we're not very extreme on one side or the other. We have compassion for all individuals involved and we recognize that everyone is a human being, but we also stand firm and that there needs to be fair competition. And so I think that we were well received as because we are strong in our voice. We speak up, we raise questions, but we also have compassion. Um, and that really comes out from my daughter. So I'm very proud of her as well for. Having the courage to speak up. And she has had great support from her peers and um, her teachers as well. She doesn't go to public school. She goes to a Catholic school. So that probably matters in that realm. But um, but just in general, amongst her peers, she's had uh, 100% support. So that's encouraging, I think, to all of your listeners too that it's not going to be this um, witch hunt that the media makes it out to be. I really feel like they have twisted the narrative on this, where most people, even the own, you know, even the democratic party, when they polled them, the majority, large majority, I believe it was above 80% agreed that male bodied athletes should not compete in female sports. So you are not alone. (laughs) Even amongst (laughs) those who don't agree with you on other things, you're not alone. (laughs) I have to sidetrack for a moment and ask how you made the decision to not allow your high school daughter to have a cell phone and how practically that has played out because I'm sure a lot of other moms would love to follow suit but don't quite know how to execute that. Yes. So um, my daughter is where she's supposed to be and if she's at school and something happens and she needs to call me, she goes to the office and uses the phone. (laughs) If she's at the mall with her friends, and we need to meet, we agree on a time and place to meet. And that's where she is. If there were an emergency, there are plenty, she knows my phone number. There are plenty of people uh, everywhere who have phones, just like in the olden days when we had landlines, <laughs> so she can, you know, use their phone and call. Um, so really, it comes down to um, at active parenting and making that decision and standing firm. She feels if you ask her, she'll tell you that uh, sometimes her friends make fun of her, like, you know, tease her a little bit about it, but that um, she feels that she's better off without it. That's what her quote is. I'm better off without it. Why do I need it? So she does have a computer and things like that, um, but she just really feels like uh, she, see, she really saw like her friends going through some bad drama um, via Instagram, like comments that people would make and it, they would be crying at school. And she felt bad for her friend because she's crying over something that's not even real, like some mean comment that somebody said on social media. And so firsthand, and then she also told me that the, um, the pressure to have an eating disorder was rampant. Rampant on these social media platforms, and she saw her friends um, having access to that and was worried about that. So I think that she's always been kind of mature for her age, um, but she'd rather read a book um, or she does photography, she'd rather do that. She's just really not that interested in the fake um, type world that social media creates. That is so interesting. I feel Mm -hmm. like I need to do a whole Separate follow up video on that, uh, because, of course, so many parents are concerned about uh, the role social media has on their children, specifically their daughters in these very vulnerable Mm -hmm. high school years. So um, I'm not surprised. Yeah, well, we'll having having met her, she is so brave and mature, as you said, Um, you know, so I am a little ways away from that with my own little two year old, but I might have to follow suit. (laughs) Right. And it starts with the iPads, not giving them the iPads at a restaurant. Um, my kids have tablets for traveling. My boys who are seven and eight they have tablets for traveling um, in case the airplane doesn't have movies or whatever, that sort of thing. Um, or when we took our long road trip, I did allow them to have them in the car um, for my own, you know, peace of mind for a little while. But, um, you know, in a restaurant, like, why do you really need to? give your child an iPad at age three or whatever it is that they're giving them iPad. Now, when in fact uh, we can get into it, my job as a metabolic practitioner, my uh, mentor was um, Charles Poliquin, who was the one of the best world's best strength coaches and, and nutrition ex- experts. And he basically uncovered the research that when you put your children in front of electronics, um, computers or iPads specifically that close, The electromagnetic frequencies will actually disrupt the thyroid development and cause all kinds of physical, emotional, and mental problems um, as they get older. He actually recommended not putting your child in front of a screen until age 12 when they've gone through puberty, uh, which is very hard with computers in this day and age and the learning style. Um, But I just, I guess for my family, I learned that and I tried and I saw the research and I tried my best to just um, encourage other forms of activity. That's that's great and very interesting. I know a little off topic, but I'm glad we touched on it. Uh, (laughs) Well, it it all goes into this. Why why I've made this decision about standing up for women's sports, and that's because I studied science all day long. I mean, I don't, I, my doctor actually asked me for research for things when he doesn't have time to research it, research medical journal articles and things like that. So I, I probably read at least 50 medical journal articles a day. And when I read things like, uh, you know, myonuclei and cells create muscle mass for men that women can't possibly reach that potential, this sort of thing, I'm reading the science and I see, oh, here are the facts that, uh, you know, yes, our intuition is correct that men are stronger and faster and that they will always be stronger and faster even after gender reassignment and hormone therapy and things like this. It's because I read the science for my job, um, for my clients. Absolutely. And that brings me to the report that IWF published called Competition Title Nine, Male-Bodied Athletes and the Threat to Women's Sports. And this aims to help athletic associations, policymakers, and courts understand the threat to female athletes in women's sports, much in part by featuring this exact type of research uh, you're mentioning. And if (laughs) if you go through that research, which we spent months doing as we compiled this report, it, it very clearly concludes that in most sports allowing biological males to compete with and against females, puts women and girls at a significant disadvantage. Uh, male puberty confers a significant and lasting athletic uh, advantage. I'm curious how this type of data has translated to your real-life experience. Well, um, it- as well, we can, we can just see it firsthand. Um, and my, you know, my clients, when I talk about my clients, I have, you know, the lady next door is a client, but I also have Olympians are my main clients, Olympians and professional athletes. And they have to make decisions, Kelsey, like, um, as female athletes, um, how do I train around my cycle? How do I make sure I have the nutrients because women are deficient in iron because of their menstrual cycle? Uh, how do I have enough of these nutrients to get through my training, my hard training? Um, What about birth control? Uh, what's the least going to be the least affecting on my performance as an Olympian? Or if I don't take birth control, what if I become pregnant and then I can't go to the Olympics because I'm pregnant? So these are all things that male bodied athletes do not have to think about. So not only the physical advantage, um, that's very clear in all of the research, even after you know all of the therapies and reassignment but they male bodies male bodied athletes will never have to think about these things that female bodied athletes do and so like I said I firsthand see my clients having to make these decisions and they're the males that they race against not and I like that you all use the term male bodied athletes I'm just going to say right here because another topic that's not discussed very much is the DSD athletes which is um, uh, like a sexual disorder development, development of sexual disorders, disorder of sexual development. I think that's what it is. Yeah, DSD. So these are male-bodied athletes who are assigned the gender female at birth because their testes are undescended. Okay, so they still have all the male parts. They have the male hormones, but they're assigned female sex. And they're usually in third world countries, not always, but usually. And there was a DSD athlete who beat, One of our USA girls in the 200 won silver in the 200, had already been denied being classified as a female for the 400 meters because of um, the rules for the Olympics, the Olympic Committee rules. So, how is this individual not meeting qualifications to be a female in the 400, but then can drop to the 200 and then compete as a female? Still a male bodied athlete. So, I really like that you use that term because. it encompasses all of these other situations where females like Gabby Thomas, who got third, should have gotten the silver medal in my opinion, so uh, there's a lot to to study in this in sports yeah, and in talking about the science, of course, we have to keep in mind we're talking about individuals and often when it comes to the transgender population, very vulnerable individuals and I'm curious in your own life, how, and since we threw you to the media to <laughs> talk about this issue publicly, how you how you balance having compassion uh, for these individuals who in some cases just want to participate in in high school sports and in other cases are actually trying to compete in elite levels such as the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I think there's, yeah, how yeah do you handle there's that? a, that's a good point. I actually have a friend um, who is transgender, male to female. Um, Allery is in their, I believe, 40s and has actually gone back and forth a couple of times deciding, has recently had surgery. Um, So it's pretty much, you know, solidified that decision. But I I had a long talk with Allery and Allery said something really interesting to me. Um, And that was that, One voice does not speak for all of the voices in that community. And Allery felt that as a a person who um, is uh, identifying as female, they would never, ever enter a race where their male dominance would dominate a female. Uh, Allery said this is not what being female is about. If you know that your male body, which, yes, is still has an advantage, is going to dominate a female, then you shouldn't be entering that race. Um, so I thought that this is an, an individual who also has compassion and also sees, you know, the issue, but is just trying to be themselves. And I think there are a couple of categories of, I mean, you know, like I said, what one, one person does not speak for everyone. So the extremists on the Internet do not speak for the whole transgender community, Um And so that being said, um, you know, we just have to see everyone as human and also recognize that as humans, there are some not so good humans and there are those who will take advantage of these rules. And that's why we have separate bathrooms and separate locker rooms. And we have opportunities for girls to earn scholarships because there are some not so good intended individuals who will take advantage of these prizes money, I mean, think about all of the money to be won with an Olympic silver medal or um, you know uh, the scholarship that can be won by advancing to the state championship being seen by a recruiter and getting recruited and getting that scholarship that could have gone to a girl that's the whole purpose of Title IX we have to recognize that there are differences allow people to express themselves and be themselves but not take opportunities away from Girls and women that we fought so hard and so long for, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And the diversity of voices within the transgender community itself is so important to highlight. And it's actually something that we did in the women's sports report, uh, where some listeners might be surprised there are a number of transgender athletes who actually support fairness in women's sports and protecting. Uh, women's sports in in, in these ways um, so mm-hmm. you can hear their stories along with Cynthia and her daughters and, and many others uh, you can read those alongside the science and the research in uh, Independent Women's Forum competition report which can be found on iwf.org slash competition and Uh, Before I let you go, Cynthia, you're such a wealth of information. I have to ask, Mm -hmm. as a metabolic practitioner, some advice for (laughs) uh, those of us who maybe fell off the saddle a little bit during the COVID pandemic, Mm -hmm. haven't been working out or eating as great as we should. What is a good way to kind of kickstart a healthy lifestyle, and what's your words of encouragement, to inspire us to do it because I can tell you I'm, you know, well, in my defense, I'm seven and a half months pregnant, but I am not as active (laughs) as I should be. (laughs) You should be, you should be gaining weight, Kelsey. That's, that's good. Um, But yeah, a lot of people, um, you know, they were mentally challenged during COVID um, and they just fell into a rut because I mean, how depressing that you have to stay in your house and quarantine and all the stress that's going on can make you gain weight. Um, and I think that there are a lot of different ways. I talk a lot about um, champion mentality because not only am I a world champion, but like I said, my clients are Olympic champion or na- Olympic and national champions. Um, so I tell them what to eat, and what supplements to take for optimal health and performance. Um, so I guess I'm going to try to nutshell this, but because uh, there are a lot of different things. I-, I give advice every day on my Instagram, which is fast over 40 at fast over the number 40. And I also have a book that's, Um, very concise and giving some workouts and things like that too, and um, information. But I would say start with protein. Um, A lot of people don't get enough protein. There are, as just as we question the mainstream media about other things, we sometimes have to question where's our nutritional information coming. Um, So uh, I do my own research on nutrition. I have found that the best way to get yourself back in the swing of things is to aim for, uh, 1.5 grams of protein per your ideal body weight. So I'm 150 pounds, 5'10. I get minimum 200 grams of protein a day. I exercise three times a week running. I strength train four times a week. You can start by walking up hills. That's what I recommend. Walking up a hill, maybe 10 times time yourself. Maybe it takes you about two minutes and 30 seconds to walk up the hill. Uh, eventually, if you feel like you can jog it, that would be awesome. Of course, check with your physician for changing diet, exercise supplement, all that stuff. But um, I found that that's a really key success, increasing protein and start moving. So it can start with a walk or you can, you know, walk or run hills, but high intensity seems to be better than long, slow distance for aging, especially. So when you turn 40, don't train for a marathon. Train for sprinting. <laughs> It'd be much better for you for oxidative stress and all kinds of things. But just basically get moving. Another, uh, if I were to pick one supplement to recommend, it would probably be um, fish oil, omega threes. Now that's it's got to be a high quality fish oil, um, not just one from Walmart or Costco. Uh, but I would say um, that actually, in research, has caused um, or has changed people from being depressed and having anxiety to not. So it does a lot of different things. It l- helps you lose body fat, but yeah, omega-3s um, or, you know, eat some sardines, eat some salmon, uh, fishes that are high in omega-3s. That's, there's a lot more I could tell you, but that's a, a good start. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, um, on the front of getting more protein, I certainly hope the Biden administration is able to calm down all this inflation we're seeing because our steak and meat are not coming cheap these days and as you uh pointed out they are very important to having a balanced diet <laughs> um, yes so I'm, so a red, I'm a very big i'm a very big right i'm a very big red meat advocate um In fact, if you look at any of their latest research, anything that's linked it to cancer or anything like that has been um, debunked. Like, that is not true. Red meat is actually very healthy for you. But there's an assault on red meat right now because um, if you start looking into the plant protein business, the current administration is actually pushing that, uh, whether it be in the name of climate change or something else, like uh, whatever their agenda is, so that these, um, you know, millionaires like James Cameron, who is the director who created the um, the latest documentary on plant protein. It was called Game Changers. Uh, a lot of people went vegan because of that. But really, he just invested so many millions in pea protein, $2 million in pea protein. So it was his commercial for selling pea protein. So always question where that advice is coming from because the whole Impossible Burger movement is coming from people that want to market their pea protein because it's cheap to make, It's cheap to push and it's uh, therefore not the quality of protein that you need. It's cheap in your body, too. It's not going to give you the same effect as as beef. So let's stand up for red meat as well, (laughs) in my opinion. (laughs) Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. Again, if you want to read IWF Women's Sports Report, which features Cynthia's story alongside a bunch of science and research. On this issue, you can go to iwf.org slash competition dash report or just Google IWF Women's Sports Report. You will find it. Uh, Cynthia, for those listening who want to follow you, maybe get some more of these health tips they probably weren't expecting to pick up on this podcast today. How can mm-hmm. they do that? Uh, the best way is uh, through Instagram at fast over the number forty fast over forty or my website is very easy to remember it's mam m a m eight zero eight dot mam eight zero eight or mam eight zero eight Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Mahalo. I appreciate it, Kelsey. We hope you take away something from today's conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks or liked the podcast in general. We would love it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure our message reaches as many Americans as possible. Share this episode and let your friends know they can find more She Thinks episodes on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, and all their favorite podcast apps. This is Kelsey Bowler signing off on another edition of She Thinks.